Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. It's hard for me to believe that we are coming to the end of season one of this podcast. When I started this, I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue doing this every week or even if anyone would listen. And I've been so thrilled with the feedback I've received from so many of you about how this podcast is helping you and adding value. So thank you for being here and for sharing your feedback. As promised, today is going to be part one of a two-part series on your questions and my answers. I get questions in my inbox almost every week from students or new grads or emerging HR practitioners, usually related to career and job-seeking advice. And I thought, well, what better way to help more people than to share some of those questions and also open up for you to have an opportunity to ask me questions. So thank you to everybody that submitted your questions to me, and I'm so excited to answer them on this episode for you today. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. This first question was sent to me by somebody who just secured their first HR job. And as you can imagine, in this current state, living within the COVID-19 pandemic, she is starting her role working remotely. So she asked me, how should she build rapport with her manager if they're not currently working in the same location and city? So as you know, most of us, many of us are continuing remote work. And being in the thick of this myself, I understand how challenging it is to build rapport with people virtually. I really love teaching, but one of the best parts is standing in front of a room of students and interacting with them. Not having that face-to-face contact has really prevented me from getting to know my students. There are some of them whose faces I've never seen. And this honestly makes it really hard to build trust and also a sense of connection, which is something that I'm really missing. I know many employers are onboarding new employees right now, and they're also facing the same challenge. They no longer shake hands with the new hire, but meet them over Zoom to welcome them or introduce them to their colleagues. As hard as it is, I do believe that there are some things you can do to still build a positive, trusting relationship with your new employer, even while working remotely. The first thing I would suggest is that you get clarity on a few items and really get a good understanding of what the expectations are, both in your organization and from your manager when it comes to working remotely. Now, this may or may not have been discussed during the time of your job offer, but if it wasn't, you really want to understand what kind of flexibility you have in your schedule, or if it is an expectation that you spend a certain amount of time by your phone or your computer at certain points during the day, or maybe even all day. 
Without knowing this, you might still be getting your work done. Hopefully you are. But your manager might have a certain expectation of visibility and availability. If you assume more flexibility than they allow, you could end up in a situation where you're not meeting their expectations without even knowing it. So I would definitely get clear on this at the very beginning when you first start. It's also really important to ask them how they would prefer you communicate with them. Do they want to communicate by email, phone, video chat, or maybe the organization has some form of messaging app that they use? But definitely ask this question. I wouldn't assume that the way you communicated during the recruitment process is what their preference is. Find out what they would like you to communicate or loop back with them on and how they prefer to get that information. Then make sure you're all set up for it. This includes, you know, the technical setup that you need at home, but also that you have your schedule set up for these regular connections. And that segues to my next point, which is the other thing you really want to understand is how often they want to meet with you. Hopefully, it's fairly frequently at the beginning, but if not, you may have to suggest this yourself. I personally would be asking for regular check-ins, especially if it's my first HR job and I'm new to the organization. Depending on your role and how familiar you are with the work, you may want to have standing weekly or bi-weekly meetings. And this is going to serve two purposes for you. Number one, it's going to give you a chance to ask questions about your work and get some feedback. It's super hard being the new person in any job. And I know for myself, I always feel bad interrupting people with my constant questions. Usually they don't mind. And when I've been a manager, I didn't mind. But regardless, having a standing regular meeting allows you to save up anything that's kind of non-urgent so that you're not constantly bombarding them with emails or you know, messenger messages about small things that could wait. I know that it's another really tough part about working remotely, but I think having some discussion around this is going to help make it easier. When you see people regularly or you pass them in the hall or you meet them over lunch, you can always ask them a quick question, right? Or they can show you how to do something as you're passing by. Now, in order to get that kind of quick question answered, you have to have some really well-worded email or schedule a time and a Zoom or Teams meetup or something like that. I know I'm finding that with my students. Normally, I would just see them after class and I could answer a quick question. They would walk with me to my office. And now I'm having to respond by email and it takes a lot longer. And then trying to schedule a face-to-face teams meeting to actually have a conversation with them can sometimes take days just to find a time when we're both available for 15 minutes. So it's a good idea to try and set up something regularly. Managers also get a ton of email. So if you can get through your list of questions on a weekly or maybe even a twice a week meeting at first, then that's probably going to be ideal. The other thing that this standing meeting does is it gives you a chance to build a relationship. 
You can use this time to ask your manager questions about themselves or their life and be willing to share something about yourself as well. Chances are they're going to already make attempts to do this, but not always, especially when we're remote. Some people feel a little more detached and disconnected. You may have to kind of gauge this carefully because there are some people that aren't as willing to share, but I think if you can find a way to ask about something that you notice about them or remember about them, that would work as sort of a natural segue, the same way you would do it face to face. Maybe there's something you see in their office background if they actually have their camera on and don't have a a pre-done background. Maybe it's a painting or a book on their bookshelf. You could comment or ask about it. Maybe they've got trophies from sports or you see a dog or a cat in the room. Ask them a question about their dog's name or their cat's name or what sport they competed in. Anything that's going to kind of open the door to building some sort of personal connection. You might even discover that the two of you have something in common that you can talk about or share. This might even give you a chance to continue building that rapport after you have your weekly meetings. Maybe you see a book that you think they might be interested in and you can send them an email about that. Or maybe there's some kind of funny cartoon or something that you can share related to something you have in common. You always want to be careful about this kind of stuff, especially if you're sending memes to anyone in your organization. But Just be careful with so much electronic communication, humor can sometimes get lost in translation. And so you want to make sure you're on the same page, especially if it's someone you report to. The best meant joke or item that you share could end up being a bit of a career limiting move if it doesn't land right. I remember working with someone who said during a presentation that every PowerPoint should have an image of a cat in it. And where I worked, people thought it was funny and cute, and it kind of broke the tension. But I shared it with a friend who worked in a really formal corporate environment, and she tried it during a sales meeting, and all she got were crickets and really strange looks. It did not land at all. Her and I had a great laugh about it after, but I don't think her boss was too impressed. You have to know your audience, but it is nice to get to know your manager on a bit of a personal level over time and for you to open up a little bit about yourself. It would happen naturally face-to-face, but can still happen remotely if you put in the effort and you're patient. Don't rush anything. I do recommend that you listen to episode seven of the HR Mentor, where I talk about how to make an impact in the first 90 days. And I share some of the same principles that I've talked about here. It's always important to do more listening and learning and get a lot of clarity on processes, communications, and expectations as soon as possible. It's just that in a remote setting or when you're not working in the same office, you need a little extra clarity on the when, where, and how than you would if you were in a face-to-face setting. The most important thing is that when you do know what's expected in terms of your relationship, that you deliver. If there's a meeting, show up and be first to log in. If it's a Q&A session, have your questions ready. If they ask you how you're doing, be prepared to give them more than a, I'm okay. 
It's really hard for your manager as well, so make it easy for them. When you get time with them, make sure you're sharing enough for them to know how you're really doing. You're new and expected to be on a learning curve, so don't feel like you have to know everything or even most things. But once you do know them, I think you should act on them. This next question is again from somebody who is a fairly new graduate and in their first HR role. And they're asking about what advice I have for someone who just started their first job on a contract that has the potential for extension. What steps should I take in the coming weeks to grow and sustain this role? I think that's such a great question. I am guessing that more and more job seekers are receiving temporary offers as employers try and figure out if they're going to continue to be viable in this new economic condition. And while I maintain all of the points I made in question one and in episode seven, they still apply in this situation. But I think there's something a little more specific you can do in this case to help you secure your role in the future. And that is to make an impact and go above and beyond. Now, the first thing you have to figure out when it comes to making an impact is understand from your manager what their biggest pain point is and perhaps what the hurdle is to your job being permanent. You can't really solve a problem for them until you know what the problem is. Now, when it comes to this biggest pain point, you want to try and understand what pressure your manager is currently under and figure out how in your role you can help them with that. For example, if your manager is under tremendous pressure to reduce the time to hire and you're an HR coordinator, then looking for ways to help the recruiters or the HR advisors get some bums in seats faster, well, you want to try and figure out a way to do that. Can you help them screen more applicants? Maybe. Are they perhaps scheduling interviews with hiring managers? And is that something that you could take off their plate so they could spend more time sourcing good candidates or actively participating in interviews? Maybe the organization is considering video interviews or screening questions in their applicant tracking system, but they don't really have time to research that or set it up. Maybe that's something that you could offer to do. Try and figure out what will make life easier for your manager and your team and try and align at least part of your daily functions to that purpose. If they can see that you understand priorities and that you're willing to take action without waiting to be told exactly how to do something or what to do, you will not only make a positive impact, which is awesome for everybody, but it's also going to show your manager that you add a specific type of value that's worth hanging on to. I would also be asking my manager what they think the priorities of my role are. And I would focus my attention on those tasks and again, do what I can to make a really positive impact. Now, really, we should all be doing this anyway, but I think it's particularly important in this case that you are making that great first impression. If they can't articulate whatever your priorities are for you, 
Take the first few days or a week and see if you can identify what tasks might make the biggest impact. Then suggest to the manager that you take those tasks on. They might be so busy that they didn't even notice that something is creating a bottleneck or preventing others from being more effective. For example, if the department has a backlog of filing or data entry or something that needs to be organized, suggest to the manager that this would make everyone's life better and offer to take it on. Then knock it out of the park. Finding someone that looks beyond their immediate tasks who can prioritize and deliver is incredibly valuable. And if you add that value, chances are they will do whatever they can to keep you on. I also feel that asking for feedback at appropriate intervals is super important to securing your future with the organization. It's important even if you're not on a contract, but You want to know as early as possible if you're off course or not fully meeting expectations so that you can adjust yourself. If you have those weekly meetings, be sure to ask for feedback and make it specific. Don't just ask them, how do you think I'm doing? And then leave it for them to figure out. Say something like, I finished reorganizing that filing cabinet. Did you get a chance to take a look? Is there anything you'd like me to change or do differently? Then if you get some feedback, make the changes they suggest. This shows them that you are not only open to the feedback, but also open to improvement and meeting their expectations. And honestly, many other people won't do this, so it's going to help you stand out. Ultimately, you want to be showing your manager why they can't live without you if you do want to secure this position for a longer term. Asking questions, listening, and trying to adjust your work around the department or organizational priorities is honestly the best way to do this. And even if it doesn't work out, you're going to gain some incredible experience and also build some of your team skills and your communication skills by taking this approach. So I think it's a win-win either way. The next question I'm going to answer in this episode was a really tough one for me. One of my former students sent this. She said, Melanie, I'm a huge fan of reading. Do you have any book recommendations that you can share with us that you felt had a big impact on your career and life in general? I love to read, which is what makes this one so hard to answer. There are so many books that have impacted me personally over the years and professionally. I'm one of those people that usually has multiple books on the go at one time. I have lots of highlights, flags, and notes in books that really resonate with me. And I actually do try and do the things they suggest, at least in most of my nonfiction books. Or I take the advice they give and I share it with people that I think would have value from it. That said, there are a few books that came to mind that have always influenced me and a couple newer ones that are having a particular impact on me lately, so I thought I would share a little bit from those ones. Probably the most obvious one for me is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I had the absolute privilege of spending a week with Jack and 350 other people from around the world learning these principles in August 2015. And the lessons that I learned there continue to be a big part of my daily life. 
They're also lessons that I share with my students every semester during our last class. One of the most prevalent principles in this book is about taking 100% responsibility for your life. This really hit home for me as we're challenged to ask ourselves in the workshop with Jack, do we actually take 100% responsibility for everything that happens to us? Of course, I answered no, but Jack teaches us that if we want to create the life of our dreams, we actually have to give up our excuses and take 100% and take 100% responsibility for our lives. No more victim stories and no more excuses for why you don't have what you want. The power of this process is that once you stop blaming outside forces, you soon realize that you are actually in control of your future. And that's a pretty empowering thought. I've thought about it a lot during the pandemic, and I've asked myself multiple times, what can I control here? Because there's so much that I can't. I wish I was in the classroom, but I'm not. I can't control that. But I can control how I approach my classes, the amount of personal connection I try and incorporate in those classes, how I make my own effort to connect with my students. All of that's in my control. My health and well-being is still in my control. Things are more stressful. Yes, there are things happening outside of me that I don't like, but I can do my own self-care and I can connect with other people. I can seek support. There's lots of things that I can do to help me move through this process. Jack goes on and he talks about this formula. And this is what I usually share with my students in the last class. And it's called E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals your outcome. And I'm going to read a short passage from the book that kind of explains it in Jack's own words. The basic idea is that every outcome you experience in life, whether it is success or failure, wealth or poverty, health or illness, intimacy or estrangement, joy or frustration, is the result of how you have responded to an earlier event or events in your life. If you don't like the outcomes you're currently getting, there are two basic choices that you can make. Number one, you can blame the event, or E, for your lack of results, O. In other words, you can blame the economy, the weather, the lack of money, your lack of education, racism, gender bias, the current administration, your parents, your wife, your husband, your boss, your employees, the system, etc., etc., if you're a golfer, you've probably even blamed your clubs and the course you played on. No doubt all these factors do exist, but if they were the deciding factor, nobody would ever succeed. How powerful is that? So a lot of times we blame the event for our lack of results, whatever's happening outside of our control. Now, the other choice Jack gives us is number two. You can instead simply change your response to the events, the way things are, until you get the outcome you want. You can change your thinking, change your communication, change the pictures you hold in your head, your images of yourself in the world, and change your behavior, 
the things you do. That is all you really have any control over anyway. Ah, I love that so much. And when I find myself feeling like I'm in a place where everything's sort of out of control and I'm maybe struggling or getting frustrated with what's going on in my environment, if I remind myself of that and just ask myself that question, what can I control? It brings this sense of calm and also empowerment back into my life. So I really encourage you to try that. Obviously, I encourage you to read the success principles, and I will share a link where you can find the book in the show notes for this episode. So that's my number one pick. It's had a big influence on me in my business, in work, and a lot in my personal life as well. So the success principles by Jack Campfield. The next book I want to share with you is a fairly new one to me. When I was in the mentoring program with the CPHR. No, I was in the mentoring program with TRU, with the university, and I was mentoring a recent HR graduate. And he happened to be interested in philosophy. And it was something that I had been contemplating, should I be reading philosophy? I don't know why, but I just felt like maybe that's something I should be reading. And we started to have some conversations on it. He put me onto a couple of podcasts. And then in the wintertime, I was in this really cool bookstore in Palo Alto when I was taking a course at Stanford in January of this year. And for those of you that love books, you're probably like me and you love old bookstores, right? This place was super cool. But I was there with a colleague and I asked him if he'd read any philosophy, which he had, and if he had a suggestion of where I should maybe start, something that's not too, too heavy. And he suggested that I start with Marcus Aurelius. And so I picked up Meditations and I started reading this book, I believe in March or April of this year, I think when we first went into kind of lockdown mode, and I fell in love with it. And Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher and has some incredibly powerful lessons in this book. Now, this book was never meant to be a book. It was Marcus's own journal writings and Years after his death, it was put into a book format. And I think it's a really consumable way to start reading philosophy. And if you like Stoicism, it's a pretty interesting philosophical stance or perspective. But I encourage you to maybe just try it out, even if you've never thought philosophy was for you, because there's some really great teachings in some of these books. I also started following a teacher called Ryan Holiday, and he has a Instagram page called The Daily Stoic, which I love. I, I, I listen to his podcast and get his messages and stuff. And he, again, makes it really consumable for anybody and, and easy to understand. But this Marcus Aurelius book, Meditations, has been pretty powerful for me. And I just want to share one sort of passage here that's related to something that I've believed and tried to live for a number of years. I went through a very difficult time when my kids were babies, and this idea of being in the present moment really helped me overcome some of those challenges that I was facing. And 
he talks about that in meditations. I'm not sure which chapter this is in. Oh, it's in book two. And he says, for the passing minute is every man's equal possession. But what has once gone by is not ours. Our loss, therefore, is limited to that one fleeting instant. Since no one can lose what is already passed, nor yet what is still to come. For how can he be deprived of what he does not possess? So two things should be borne in mind. First, that all the cycles of creation since the beginning of time exhibit the same recurring pattern, so that it can make no difference whether you watch the identical spectacle for a hundred years or for two hundred or forever. Secondly, that when the longest and the shortest lived of us come to die, their loss is precisely equal. For the sole thing of which any man can be deprived is the present, since this is all he owns, and nobody can lose what is not his. Don't you just love that? It's such an empowering thought that all we really have is the moment that we're living in now. Right now, you're listening to this podcast. There's nothing else going on for you. This is it. And, you know, I find so many of us, and certainly what I was doing at the time, or at times, because it still happens to me, where we let our thoughts drift to the past and the future. And if we spend too much time there, it makes us feel sad and depressed, depending on what it is we choose to think about. And one of the easiest ways that I have found to kind of come out of that is to really focus on the present moment. And as Marcus Aurelius says, at the end of the day, that's really all we have anyway. We just have this moment and this moment and this moment. That's it. So I encourage you to embrace this moment, enjoy it, celebrate it, appreciate it, and pick up meditations. Maybe you'll like it. I'd love to hear if anyone tries it and to hear what they think. I really enjoyed reading it and, again, have tons of notes and flags in this book as well. And it, it's just a small book, so it's uh, definitely not a super hefty read. And I know that there's a lot of really successful business people that also make it a regular practice to read this book every year, which I definitely think it's one that I will continue to come back to. So that's my second recommendation. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. The third book that has also had, I think, a big personal impact on me, but also a work-related impact, is the book Insight by Tasha Yurek. And the way this book came to me was that I attended a Women in Leadership conference a couple of years ago with some of my colleagues from the university, and Tasha was one of the speakers. And I just really loved her energy and the messages that she was sharing about self-awareness. So the book is called Insight, The Surprising Truth About How Others See Us, How We See Ourselves, and Why the Answers Matter More Than We Think. And I did share a quote from this book recently on social media. And I, I've just found that you know, in so many work instances, so many people lack self-awareness. And I've worked with a lot of people that really don't see how other people see them. And that can range from being 
somewhat annoying and also really toxic. And I've lived with both. So I I thought it was really important recognizing this, that I also did what I could to be as self-aware as possible. Because one of the things they say is that we all think we're more self-aware than we really are. And she gives some great examples in her presentation. But I just want to share one thing that really stuck with me from this book, one of the lessons. And and it's such, it's a really good book. And the other thing I like about it is that she has all these exercises you can do. So there's There's worksheets and checklists and things you can do if you really want to invest in becoming more self-aware. And I found them really, really beneficial, actually. And and I had many discussions with other people, one friend in particular, about some of the things that I learned through this book. and, And we had some good chats about it. But one of the things she talks about is resisting the cult of self. And I know for so many of you that spend so much time on social media, and I know my own kids, you know, they get their news from TikTok and YouTube and all these sorts of places that we do spend a significant amount of time sharing content about ourselves. And, you know, certainly I do that with my business and with the podcast, and also, you know, consuming that. And so I think it's really important to kind of look at the motives behind that. And she talks a little bit about narcissism in this particular part of the book. But I really like this passage, and I'm going to read it to you, where she really challenges us to look at ourselves. And she says, as you go about your daily life, how much time and energy do you spend focused on you? It's probably more than you think. One study found that we spend up to 60% of our talking time discussing ourselves. And when we're on social media, that number jumps to a whopping 80%. Wow, 60 and 80%. Now she goes on to say that people that have a lot of self-awareness are different. She says, overwhelmingly, their conversations online and offline, focus more on others. Friends, co-workers, the events taking place in the wider world, etc. One appropriately noted that, quote, the world doesn't revolve around me, end quote. Another explained that his approach to interacting with others involved, quote, being curious about something outside of myself, question mark. And I've talked before on this podcast, uh, did a whole episode on the power of curiosity. But I think this is really important for new professionals and also for students to think about how curious you are about other people. And this really changed my behavior on social media, really thinking about this, about, you know, I used to share a lot of pictures of my family or travel or those sorts of things. And I stopped doing it because I really had to ask myself, why am I sharing this stuff? What is the purpose behind it? And again, I had really good conversations with a close friend about this. And, you know, what's the motivation of that? And what we kind of challenged ourselves to do was what Tasha encourages people to do in this book, which is to spend more of our time online and with other people being curious and being informers. 
So if we're going to share something, sharing something that's not so self-related. So information, things that are inspiring, helpful, amusing, taking that kind of perspective to our online behavior. She says, informers tend to have more friends and enjoy richer, more satisfying interactions than me-formers. And I think that's really important to think about that. Am I informing or am I me-forming? Am I centering it around me? Because I think when you're you're new and you're learning and at any point in your career, you're going to build more connections with people if you're curious about them and you're adding value where you can to their life or to their work or something to that effect. So I thought that was a particularly powerful lesson and it seemed to really resonate with me and and certainly other people that I've discussed with it. So that's my third recommendation, Insight, Tasha Yurik. I think it's really also really cute that she calls her self-aware people unicorns because, as you know, I have a little thing for unicorns. So that kind of resonated with me as well. So definitely pick that one up. And again, I'll leave a link in the show notes. The last book I'm going to talk about is another one that came to me this year. I was in a retreat in April doing a bit of, I guess, self-reflection, self-development work, and someone had suggested Glennon Doyle to me. And I've also shared this book on social media earlier this year as well when I finished reading it. But she recently published a book called Untamed. And she's had other number one bestsellers. But this book really hit home for me in so many ways as a woman, as a mother, as somebody who feels strongly about the way people are disadvantaged in the world. And I just loved the kind of raw honesty in this book. And I've since started following Glennon and her wife, Abby, on social media. And I just love the way they interact, the way they work on their relationship, and some of the lessons that they share. They're very powerful. But one of the things, one of the chapters that I thought was pretty profound, and I guess had a big impact on me was one called Feel. And the chapters in this book are Uh, fairly short. And Glennon shares personal stories and, and things that have happened to her and how she came to these realizations. But this one about feel hit home for me because, you know, I've always been the kind of person where I try and keep myself upbeat and I try and stay positive and I try not to, you know, let my kids see my frustrations or they do see me upset, but but that I keep a lot of my negative emotions inside sort of thing. And there have been times where I've kind of thought, is that the right thing to do? I don't know. Because we all have all these feels all the time, and, and that's just normal. But one of the things that this book did was really, I guess, normalize that for me. And I thought that that was really helpful. So In this chapter, Glennon's talking about when she was first getting sober and uh, she had this moment with a woman at the end of the meeting. And this is what she says. After the meeting ended, a woman walked over and sat down next to me. She said, thanks for sharing. I relate. I just wanted to tell you something that somebody told me in the beginning. 
It's okay to feel all the stuff you're feeling. You're just becoming human again. You're not doing life wrong. You're doing it right. If there's any secret you're missing, it's that doing it right is just really hard. Feeling all your feelings is hard, but that's what they're for. Feelings are for feeling, all of them, even the hard ones. The secret is that you're doing it right, and that doing it right hurts sometimes. That just struck me that it's okay to feel all the emotions you're feeling, and that that is sometimes the hardest part is to just let them come forward and to actually feel them. I posted recently a quote from Buddha that mentioned, you know, letting go of the things basically that no longer serve us. And that can be hard because sometimes it means you have to feel some really not nice feelings. You know, a lot of you know that I lost my dad last year, and that was really tough on me and my family. We were very close, and he had a really big role in my life. And it's taken me a long time to just even let myself feel sad sometimes. I have an easy time telling my kids that, but feeling that for myself and allowing that space has always been kind of difficult for me. So this sort of way it's presented here in the book really kind of hit home that it's okay to feel everything. Glennon goes on to say, I'll just read this one quick passage. She says, I did not know before that woman told me that all feelings were for feeling. I did not know that I was supposed to feel everything. I thought I was supposed to feel happy. I thought that happy was for feeling and that pain was for fixing and numbing and deflecting and hiding and ignoring. How many of us have felt that before, right? We feel like happiness is a feeling we're allowed to have and everything else is just something we have to fix or keep away from other people. And I can tell you from my own experience of realizing this that usually the best way to, maybe not the best way, but a way to kind of move through those feelings and experiences those feelings and make it okay or normalized is to share it with other people. And so I just want to tell you today, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be disappointed. This is all part of our human experience. And I'd never really thought about it before reading this book in that particular way. So that's definitely taken a load off for me, allowed me to let go of some things. And I think it's really important. So Untamed, Glennon Doyle, there's so much good stuff in there. I could read the whole book to you and and never run out of stuff to, (laughs) to talk about. So that's a really great one. A couple of other books that have had an impact on me, I'm not going to read from or go into details. But in terms of fiction, I started reading Richard Wagami's books uh, this fall. I read Indian Horse. It's a beautiful book. He's a beautiful writer. He also has a meditation book. And that's been really profound for me. I, I love reading his work. Anything by Brene Brown. I love her stuff as well. That's had obviously a big impact on me and really enjoy reading that. And from an HR perspective, you know, all of the Dave Ulrich books are really helpful to understanding sort of the evolution of HR, our profession and the work that we do. Those are really good books to read. 
Patrick Lencioni's books, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, really great when you're working with leaders or coaching people. Those are super helpful books as well. So I could talk about this forever, as you could tell. So maybe next year we'll start a book club. But for now, I'm going to stop there. I I don't want to make these episodes too long. I know it was only three questions, but uh, we will do a few more next week. And definitely, if you have things you want me to include in next season, that will be starting in January. And for those of you that didn't catch it previously, if you want to get your name on the list for my Courageous Conversations workshop, there is a link to the form in the show notes of this episode. No obligation if you fill out the form. It just lets me know that you might be interested and I can send you some more information as it becomes available. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to those of you that sent me questions. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. Happy reading. We'll see you next week. Bye for now.